you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com events. Anytime I'm with my friends Sarah and Randy, and one of us says the phrase, one time, we all just bust out singing this one song. One time is one time for your mind. The song is called One Time by the group of the same name, One Time. One Time is one of the most iconic first-generation K-pop groups from the 90s. They were part of YG Entertainment, and they had this West Coast hip-hop kind of swagger. Their raps were done in both Korean and English, and the group just had this cool factor to them that made them stand out. And One Time's legacy on K-pop today is pretty irrefutable. They inspired the sound of hugely popular second-generation group Big Bang, which then went on to inspire BTS. And for me, One Time lives in my personal K-pop Hall of Fame too, as the first Korean hip-hop group I ever loved. So when I got the chance to talk to one of the members of One Time, my mind was completely blown. From Elias Studios, this is K-pop Dreaming. I'm Vivian Yoon, and in this bonus episode, I will be talking with Danny Im, one of the Korean-American members of One Time. I always used to say, yo, one time don't dance, man, right? So we're just jumping around, <laughs> right? It was horrendous. We'll hear some behind-the-scenes stories of how the group came to be, what it was like moving to Korea and becoming a full-blown K-pop star, and about how Danny helped to discover one of the biggest K-pop idols in the world right now. All of that is coming up after the break. We'll be right back. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS for a morning of multilingual story times, interactive performances, art making, and lots of kid fun. Bring the whole fam and join us for a super fun Saturday at LAS in Pasadena on June 1st. Tickets at LAS.com slash events. See you there. Danny in from one time when he's on stage, totally different person off stage, you know. I'm way more goofy in real life. I mean, Try to act all cool when I was on one time, but that's about it. I'm on a video call with Danny. And it's pretty surreal seeing his face on my computer screen, like actually reacting live to the things that I am saying. But we have a lot to cover, so I force myself to be professional, and I ask him my first question. How did the group get started? I mean, just like with many things, I, I think it was just, it was sheer luck. When we first got the opportunity to meet YG, 
It was me and Teddy. We went to Diamond Bar High School. And, you know, we were just friends that like music. Teddy is Teddy Park, the other Korean-American member of One Time. He's currently one of the biggest producers in K-pop. But Danny says back in the 90s, they were just two teens growing up in Diamond Bar, which is a city in the San Gabriel Valley. And they both loved music. We would go to karaoke all the time. They had a special in our area at the karaoke spot that we went to. You only had to pay for an hour and you could stay there from two to six. And we would literally stay there from two to six. If we got tired, we would just sleep in the room, you know, wake up and just, you know, do whatever, eat there, everything. And so that's where I actually even learned how to read Korean. Because before that, I didn't even know how to read Korean. There was just circle boxes lines. I had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) It is so true. Korean letters are literally made up of circles, boxes, and lines. Anyway, back to Danny talking about going to karaoke in high school with Teddy. That's when I started really getting into like Korean music and Teddy, you know, he taught me a lot because he was actually well versed in in both. You know, he lived basically up until like around 11 years old in Korea and then he moved out here. We, we grew closer during those times. Danny says he and Teddy became good friends and they ended up meeting a couple music producers through a mutual contact. We found out that they lived in Diamond Bar and we're like, oh, really? Where do you live? They live like two blocks from Teddy's house. And we've never seen them before in our lives. You know what I mean? It just happened to be they lived two blocks away from Teddy. So, I mean, we started going there all the time because we those were the only people that we knew that had like musical equipment. You know, they had all the stuff to make music, to record music and everything. And we're like, yo, after that day, we would just kick it just to have fun. Danny says these producer guys, they asked him and Teddy to sing and rap on one of their demos. So the demo you guys sent to the producers, was that a hip-hop song? Like, Yeah, it was a hip-hop song. It was a straight-up 90s hip-hop song. Man, me and Teddy, we tried for the longest time to track that down. Like, we, we don't know where it went, what happened to it, or anything like that. But, I mean, I'm talking about... Like, there was a little narration in the beginning, like a phone call, like Teddy acting like he just woke up, something like that. Back in the 90s, all of them had that, like, yo, 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 Teddy, what up? Yo, yo, what's up, Danny? Yo, I'm coming to pick you up right now. All right, man. Yo, where we going? We're going to studio, man. (laughs) You know, like something hot or something. He goes, all right, let's do this. And then the beat drops or something like that. I mean, it sounds corny now, but that was the 90s, man. Danny says the producer sent the demo to a bunch of other music producers in South Korea. And one of the people who heard the demo was YG, one of the big three in K-pop in the 90s. And then uh, I guess, you know, YG just asked, like, so who are these kids on the demo? And he just said, let me meet them when I come to the States next time. YG is serious about meeting Danny and Teddy. So the next time he's in L.A., the producer guys call up the two friends and tell them to show up at a hotel in Koreatown in L.A. So we met them in like this hotel room in in LA. And the thing is, it was pretty intimidating at first because it's not like a setting where, you know, like you're ready for an audition. He was actually like lounging in the bed like this, you know. Danny Mimes lying on his side, propping his head up with his hand. Very casual. But he says there are other people in the room too. A bunch of legendary Korean music producers and even a K-pop star. Sean Young from Keep Six, YG's very first group. And Q was there. And it was just these people there. And then we just built this couch. And then we sat there and he just talked to us for a little bit. And then basically he just goes, okay, do something. You know what I mean? We're like, what? So he just basically had to sit there and just do something. So I remember like Teddy rapped and sang a little. And then I rapped and sang a little, whatever. 
Danny says that right after singing and rapping for YG, that was kind of it. He and Teddy just left the room. We're exiting the room and we're, me and Teddy looking at each other like, yeah, I do not think anything is going to happen from that. I don't think we did great. I mean, we know who YG was and everything like that, but I didn't think anything was going to happen from that. Then a couple days later, YG invites Danny and Teddy to dinner. And Danny says they think this is a really nice way for YG to reject them. Me and Teddy were just like, yo, that's cool, man. He's, um, it's like a sorry, but maybe next time dinner. And we're like, yeah, that's yeah. nice, right? But at that dinner, he just threw it out there. He goes like, yo, why don't you guys come to Korea? And we're like, yo, what? And so we had to go back and basically talk to our parents and stuff. Because for me, it was during the summer after my junior year. Teddy just graduated, so he was a little bit more open and free. So my parents were a little bit harder to convince, you know. But, I mean, straight up truth, I wasn't the best student in the world. So at the end of the day, I think they came to the conclusion of, yeah, maybe we should let him go. You know, he ain't doing that great here, so maybe we should let him go. And plus, he really wanted to do this, and, and they knew that. So with his parents' blessing, Danny flies to Seoul to try and become a K-pop star under YG Entertainment. And when he gets there, he experiences a complete culture shock. I remember walking on the streets, like in a very busy street for the first time, and I just flipped out because I've never seen so many Koreans in one spot in my life. You know what I mean? I'm like, everywhere I look, everybody's Korean. This is crazy to me, you know, growing up in the States and it was just so much diversity. I think I saw my first foreigner like two weeks later and I just like, yo, I started like flipping out on him. Yo, what's up, man? So nice to see you. And this dude was just like, who's this crazy kid? But. Um, So so yeah, at 17, the culture shock was pretty crazy. Danny says there was also a surprising language barrier. I thought my Korean was good enough, at least for, you know, simple conversations. But anytime someone talked to me, if like Teddy wasn't next to me, they wouldn't know what I'm saying. They just look at Teddy and go, yo, what did this dude say? But Danny spent most of his time with the other trainees at YG's facilities. What was YG like back then? It was a very much smaller operation. (laughs) Like it was just a basement. So it was a building, which he owns now, by the way. It was a building he didn't own. He just ran it out the bottom basement. And at the basement was basically everything. It was the little dancing studio spot, his office, the manager's office, the common room or whatever. And then the bathroom was actually, you had to go up two floors. And when I first got there, you know, I'm from the States. So the bathroom was basically no toilet, the hole on the ground thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Even now, a lot of older public restrooms won't have, like, a seated toilet. They'll just have this porcelain hole in the ground. And Danny says that's what the old building had. So, I mean, that's how old school was. And I remember first time, I was like, yo, Teddy, how you use this, man? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I mean, that's how different it was. now. And then, you know, fast forward, like many, many years later, and now with the new building and everything like that, when the new building came up, I'm like, yo, there's fingerprint identification for each floor and stuff. And I'm like, yo, man, this, I was there when it was a hole on the ground, man. <laughs> like, yo. <laughs> so, That's so yeah, it, it was a smaller operation for sure, yeah. The idea of YG's headquarters being in a basement and having that old school toilet is kind of mind-blowing. Because now, YG owns this giant nine-story building in Seoul that looks like it's straight out of the future, with all this curved glass and metal. And the new building is actually right next door to the old one that Danny's talking about. 
But Danny says that even though YG was in its early days back then, there were other trainees there, and all of them were learning to sing and dance under YG's direction. There was a bunch of people there already. Yonsub um, sangs, that's what we call them. Oh, yeah. What, what do you call them in, in the States? I'm not even sure, actually. Uh, trainees, there you go. But Danny and Teddy were the only Korean-American trainees. And they ended up sharing a lot of American music and culture with the other guys. Like me and Teddy, when we went, I remember the other trainees and everything like that. We're basically introducing them to different types of music that they wouldn't know. Because it's not just blasting on TV. It's not just something that just comes up on the radio or anything like that in Korea in those days. Like, if we're talking about, like, Wu-Tang, they didn't know who that was. So Danny spends a ton of time with his fellow trainees. They practice dancing, singing, rapping, trying to get ready to debut. But when it's time to assemble the actual group, not everyone makes the cut. So um, there was Baekhyung and Shinhwan. Baekhyung and Shinhwan are the other two members of one time. And like six other people. And then it got cut down, cut down, cut down. And then it then ended up being the four of us. And that was like, I think I was there training for about a little over a year, which is very short. That's so short compared to <laughs> yeah, now. It, because at that <laughs> like time, YB was a small operation and... Basically, there was only Jinu Shun, you know what I mean? Jinu Shun was a really popular hip-hop group, but they were the only artists from YG on the scene at the time. And, like, they needed another artist to come out, so they just threw us out there. So it was extremely short compared to what it is now. Okay, for comparison, the average training period for a trainee these days is somewhere between two and four years. And some people have even stayed in the system for 10 years before debuting. So Danny and Teddy training for one year... That was pretty short. And then, you know, one time when you guys all got put together, how did it become that you became like the vocalist of the group? No one else wanted to sing. <laughs> Straight up. No one wanted to sing. <laughs> Peck Young did a little bit in the beginning and he goes, nah, I'm good. And so later That's on, so I'm, the, I'm the only person singing, you know, so uh, I guess they call that the main vocal album. How did you even get the name one time? Did YG just come up with it? Well, actually, you, Perry or? came up with it. So Perry oh. is one of the first producers at uh, at YG. I mean, this guy did everything. He was a good rapper, good dancer, good producer. He even danced really good. Danny is talking about Perry Thomas Borja, an influential producer and artist who was at YG back then. Danny says at first, Perry threw out a couple different names. And then um, later on, one time came out, one time for your mom, one time. Well, like, you know what, that, that's, that's cool. We like that. So they get the name One Time, which is an acronym for One Time For Your Mind. And they released their first album in 1998, which includes the song My Friends and I Love, One Time. It is like subliminal messaging. I think we said like one time, like, Ten times in, in that first verse to the hook. Danny says they performed the song for the first time on a show on Mnet, a Korean music TV channel. And the performance isn't great because none of them are that great at dancing. I always used to say, yo, one time don't dance, man, right? So we're just jumping around. <laughs> it was horrendous. So YG was like, yo, we can't do that. We got to change that up. Danny says that performance was so bad, YG decided to put backup dancers in future shows and have the guys dance less. But Danny wasn't sure how many more shows they would even get to do. 
that's how bad it was. After our first performance, we thought, yo, we're not going to make it. Me and Peking, I, I still remember this. We're in the kitchen basically talking like, yo, so, uh, so what are you going to do now? I don't know. I guess I got to go back to the States and go to school. You know, this is after our first performance. We're going to have our next performance. But we just thought, oh, you know what? I don't, we, it might not work out, you know? So we're trying to wow. think of future plans, right? So obviously, the group wasn't a flop. The song One Time blew up, and their album became one of the best-selling albums of the year. And the group went on to win these big Korean music awards, officially putting them on the map. But Danny says when they went on tour for their first album, it was really tough. Back in those days, it was like they grinded you. Like you had to do every single show. I mean, you did everything. It was craziness, like for like eight months. And you're doing like every show possible. And there was a lot more back then. I remember one of the shows, um, gosh, who was that one comedian that uh, he had glasses? You just hug. You just hug. There you go. This person, Yu Jae-suk, he's arguably the most famous comedian-turned-MC in South Korea, and he's hosted a ton of legendary shows over the years. But I remember us during our first album, and Yu Jae-suk, when he was just starting out, we were doing this like weird show in like the mountains away from civilization in this small community, and he's in this like grasshopper costume. So when this comedian, Yu Jae-suk, was first starting out, he would wear this bright green grasshopper costume as part of his act. And Danny is saying that Yu Jae-suk was wearing the costume during the show with one time at this random little venue in the mountains. So during a, like, a little break, like he's in this costume, we're, you know, us, we're all smoking together. And we're kind of all looking at each other like, what are we doing? <laughs> <Right>? like, <laughs> do we really have to do this? You know what I mean? Like, I remember oh him, <laughs> him too, it's just like, Okay, I'm like dying at this point because the idea of this super famous comedian wearing a grasshopper costume, smoking outside of a show and saying, oh man, this is hard, huh? Like basically wondering how they all got there is so funny. But yeah, Danny says the group, they really paid their dues. Our first album, it was just, I mean, like there was no time to think. You did all these bunch of shows, you went to sleep for a couple hours, you woke up, you did all these other things. So it was just kind of like, wow. just craziness. In those days when you do a show in the countryside, because, you know, they don't get to see you often, they go a little nuts. Like, I remember we were stuck in the car and, like, the fans just surrounded it. And they are just, like, climbing on top of it and it was, like, shaking and there's, like, no security and we're just like, we're going to die, right? That's when I kind of was like, yo, this is crazy. One Time stays popular for a long time. They put out five records, and Danny even records a solo album between the fourth and fifth one-time albums. But eventually, the grind slowed down, because in 2006, after their fifth album, One Time went on hiatus. One of the group's members had to fulfill his mandatory military service. And then, they never really got back together. Afterward, Danny started working with YG Entertainment. And he ended up helping to scout one of the biggest K-pop stars in the world today. That's coming up after the break. As a farmer's son from a desert region in California, JB Hamby thinks a lot about water. 
I spent a lot of time digging up history, particularly about water, which is the origins of the Imperial Valley. How this 28-year-old became the youngest lead negotiator on the Colorado River ever. And how he could shape the most consequential negotiations to date. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. So after eight years of performing and making music together as a group, one time goes on hiatus. And Danny suddenly finds himself having to figure out what's next. And as he's hanging out in the YG offices trying to figure it out, he has this realization. I remember it was just one day I just thought, um, you know, so, you know, all around the office, there's all these trainees and stuff like that. And as more time passed, it just one day it came into my mind like, okay, so I see what these kids are going through. And of course, they were going through all these training programs. They had, you know, a dance instructor, singing instructor, even language people. And it was just all these things. But as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, hmm, they don't have anybody around them that actually did this, that Mm -hmm. actually had to go through being an artist and what it's like. So I just thought, hey, I have this information that I don't know who else to give it to. Maybe some of my wisdom that I could pass along, the things that I've been through. And I don't know how much it's going to help, but I would love to just, you know, be around the kids and maybe talk with them and just, if in a way I can, just get them mentally prepared of what they're going to basically go through. They're getting prepared for everything else except for the mental aspect of what it's actually going to be like. So I just thought if maybe I can help them with that, it was just be pretty fulfilling just to pass on this knowledge that I don't think will be the same to others except for the people in their situation. So that's what I kind of put myself into. Danny started working with the trainees at YG, including the massively popular second generation group, Big Bang. I'll tell you how Big Bang came up with their name. So yeah, their name, we no one could think about it either. Everything sounded corny, this or that. So it was around the time Busta Rhymes, like he had an album out that just came out. Right. And it was like sitting on the desk. And that album was The Big Bang. And oh. YG just looked at it and said, Big Bang. And that was it. <laughs> no. That's way. it. That's why they're called Big Bang. Danny also got involved in the scouting process and he helped discover some of the most well known K pop idols right now. Have you auditioned like people that became super famous later? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lisa from Blackpink. So we had an open audition in in Thailand and we went there and um, I think we only saw like 30 something people and she just stood out. You know, it's, it's, it's not, she was extremely young at the time. She was yeah. like 14 or something like that. But I just remember uh, me and that young were talking and she's like, she did stand out. She had this confidence that even I was like, is that too much confidence? Yeah, I mean, like, but when we talked to her, she was very humble, you know? So, I mean, she had this thing that it was like, we couldn't forget, you know? 
Danny also saw the audition tape for another member of Blackpink. And um, I was around for Jenny's first audition. I remember seeing her audition tape yeah, for the first time. Oh, wow. What did you think? And it was, um, there was something about her. So her audition tape wasn't flawless. I think she messed up the lyrics in between or something. And the thing I didn't get was she didn't record another tape. She sent that one. You know what I mean? Like you have as many takes as you want, right? And she didn't. She just laughed at herself and she kept going. And it was just, what's up with that, right? Like never saw that before. And so you remember that. And Teddy Park, Danny's friend from high school who was also in one time, he is now Blackpink's producer. And he's produced all of the group's hit songs like this one called Doodoo Doodoo from 2018. Before Blackpink, Teddy also produced music for a bunch of iconic second-generation K-pop artists too, like Seven, Big Bang, and 21. Teddy influenced a lot, I think. You know, Teddy's contribution is humongous. His first song that he ever produced was during our second album, the year 2000. And this guy's still one of the top producers. He's like, yo, what's up with that? He listens to what's going on in the world, and he adapts to that. It's clear that Danny has a lot of admiration for Teddy and his contribution to the genre of K-pop. But when I ask Danny about his own legacy... I uh, don't like speaking <laughs> on my own contributions because you don't speak on your own history of what right. you've done for the world, <laughs> yeah. right? The world is supposed to say that, not you. Since Danny won't do it, I will. Danny Im was extremely influential in the K-pop scene. Not only was he part of this legendary hip-hop group one time, but he also went on to help other stars through the trainee process at YG too, like Bobby from Icon. And he helped discover superstars like Lisa and Jenny from Blackpink. Danny also had his own TV show for a while, on a channel called Mnet America, a talk show called Danny from L.A. Today on Danny from LA, we show you what's happening in the world of K-pop. Check out our exclusive And Danny's had a lasting impact on K-pop. This is Taeyang, one of the members of Big Bang, telling Danny how he pretty much learned his swag from watching One Time. I asked Danny if he ever listens to the song that my friends and I love, One Time. I don't even know the lyric. I mean, I got kids. I don't get to control what we're listening to and don't have much control on anything these days. <laughs> Danny says that now... He has different responsibilities. He's a dad to two kids. But even though his life looks very different from his K-pop days, to me, he'll always be Danny Im from one time. Thank you so much. That was super fun. All your stories are so good. You get me talking, I just keep talking, dude. That's about it. <laughs> K-Pop Dreaming is written and hosted by me, Vivian Yoon. The show is a production of Elias Studios. Fiona Ng is the senior producer and show creator. Our producers are James Chow, Minju Park, and me, Vivian Yoon. Sophia Poliza-Carr is our editor. This episode is sound designed by Minju Park. Gloria Oh is our Korean researcher and translator. Fact-checking by Minju Park. Parker McDaniels is our mix engineer. Our director is Taylor Kaufman. Original music by Stephen Tran. Our interns are Jens Campbell and Sarah Burnett. 
Special thanks to Jacqueline Kim, Quincy Surasmith, Sang Cho, Topher Ruth, and the Berkeley Advanced Media Studios. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people. Alaist has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAist.com events.